Good morning. I'll be reading from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judea, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I shall be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Good to have the youth in here with us this morning. Fantastic. We had a lot of the children's church kids right back here, and they've all exited just as I got up here. What's the deal? I think we've got a bunch of youth sitting in the uh, hallway, so they could come in here. They've got some room here, and if they don't come in in a few minutes, I'm going to go out and get them. We run service here different in the, than the youth, okay? You guys better take good notes. Where's Jace? He's hiding out in his office. Was he back over here sleeping? We're going to get these people hooked up here in a bit. Good to have you guys with us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Those were the verses that we just read. We're looking at verses 31 through 34, powerful uh, text. Hearing the voice of God is the current teaching series. Kicked it off last weekend. If you were here as we started that series, we also had a phenomenal baptism party. Were you here to celebrate that? Wasn't that fantastic? Oh my goodness. We baptized a whole bunch of people who were making a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ, all three services. I think we had about 30 folks that did that. And if you're in this service right now and you got baptized last weekend, would you stand just for a moment so that we can celebrate? And yeah, look at these that got baptized. Yep, yep, one in the back booth there. Woo! Yep, 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 yep. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Wow, we had a great time. If you've ever been a part of a baptism service, they're, they're unbelievably inspirational and just motivational and encouraging. And it's the greatest miracle of all when someone becomes a Christian and they make that public declaration of their faith in Christ. And so we had a chance to see that. If you want to watch any of that, you can go on our website, dbcc.com, or go to our YouTube channel and find all three of those services where we uh, baptized all the folks last weekend. So far this year, since uh, Easter, we've got about 65 people that have made that public declaration of their faith in Christ. So pretty phenomenal stuff that God's doing right here at Desert Breeze. Praise God. Praise God for his grace, his goodness, and all that he's doing. So hearing the voice of God, this is part two, a personal relationship with God. The theme verse for this series is man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're not interacting with God, if you don't have a relationship with God, you're not really living. You're not fully alive until you know Him and experience Him in your life. That's the point of that. And we talked about the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever. What is the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever? It's a believer has a personal relationship with God. And so last weekend we talked about this, our ability to hear God is given, it's a, it's a gift of God by grace through faith in Christ, and it should be grown, but it's unbelievably gratifying. Now, take a look at your sermon notes here. Part of our intro this weekend is the absolutely best thing about the Christian life is having a personal relationship with God. I'm convinced of that. There's nothing better. That's why I'm a believer, because I have a personal relationship with the living God, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the God of the galaxies. I know him. He knows me. I have a relationship with him. Nothing in life compares, competes, or completes you like a personal relationship with God. When you know Him, this is what completes us, is knowing Him and experiencing Him. Now, two questions we're looking at here this morning, I think the text answers for us, is 
First one is how to have a personal relationship with God. How do you actually enter into a personal relationship with God? And then what is a personal relationship? What does that look like in our life? This text answers uh, both of those questions for us. Look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 32. That answers the first question. So let me go back through that and let's read it. You can follow along if you've got your Bibles open or follow along up on the big screen behind me. Behold, this is the prophet Jeremiah saying, hey, let this get a hold of you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of by, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he's talking about the story of Moses. Remember Moses going in and helping the people that were in Egyptian bondage and leading them out of Egyptian bondage, wandering through the wilderness, heading into the promised land. This is what he's talking about here, talking about the covenant that God made with those folks. And then he goes on and says, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Here's the first uh, fill in the blank on your notes as it relates to this idea of a personal relationship with God. God is a covenant God, and you can only relate to him through a covenant. God is a covenant God, and you can only have a relationship with him through a covenant. Now, now he's making this contrast between the Old, old Covenant and New Covenant. By the way, when the Bible talks about, uh, when the Bible, we have an Old Testament, New Testament, basically it means Old Covenant, New Covenant. So that's what testament means. And so he's making a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that there's a New Covenant coming, which, by the way, that's the, that's the time that we're living in right now. We're under this New Covenant. And so the next point on your notes is that Jesus is the true and better priest, tabernacle, and sacrifice of the Old Covenant. So what God did is he led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He established a priesthood. Now, priests represent God to the people and the people to God. So he established a priesthood. He also had a tabernacle where his presence dwelt, and then there was a whole sacrificial system so that when they sinned, they could sacrifice animals and have their sins forgiven. And, and then also God led them through the wilderness through a fire at night and a cloud by day. And, and so th this was the covenant he had with those people. And, and yet the new covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, he's a true and better priest, tabernacle, and sacrifice of the old covenant. We know that because it tells us throughout the New Testament, but particularly in Hebrews chapters 8 through 10. Chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus is the true and better priest. It tells us in chapter 9 of Hebrews that Jesus is the true and better temple, the very dwelling place of God. And then in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he's the better sacrifice. He's the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins. So that's a little bit of the idea. You gotta get the understanding, kind of the, the foundation for what we're trying to uh, understand as it relates to this personal relationship with God. In fact, Jesus said, remember when he was uh, having communion with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed? And the Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He, he says this, this is the cup of the, anybody? New covenant in my blood. So this is the time of the new covenant. We're living in that time of the new covenant. So when we put our faith in Christ, so by grace through faith in Christ, we become a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19. So, so the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us when we put our faith in Christ. So individually and corporately, we are the temple of God and that we are to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. All that's on your on your notes, and you can study that further. Just trying to build a foundation here. Now, what is a covenant? So this is the only way that God will relate to us. There's an old covenant, now we're under the new covenant. And so a covenant is a beautiful blend of love and law. A beautiful blend of love and law, promise and command. Now this is what's, and it's really important to understand that this is from cover to cover. This was also under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And oftentimes when I talk to people, sometimes when they're relatively young in the Lord, they'll say, you know what, I'm not really fond of the Old Testament God. He seems pretty mean. And it seems as though that was before he started taking his psych meds. And he's a little bit crazy. So he's killing everybody. And, and so, I mean, people have that idea, and, but, but I like the New Testament God. He seems so mellow and kind and nice. And, and I need to tell you this, he's the same God, okay? The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God and vice versa, okay? 
So you're not probably reading the Old Testament appropriately. And oftentimes people will think that the Old Testament is all about law. And the New Testament is all about love. Well, actually, both of them are all about law and love. It's a combination of both. It's all about covenant love. And oftentimes we'll read through it and maybe not really fully understand it. Let me give you, uh, help you to understand that. For instance, so he's talking about Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And as they're going into the desert, you got Exodus. That's what Exodus means, exiting Egyptian bondage. And so in Exodus chapter 20, anybody know what we have in Exodus chapter 20? Yes, sir. Ten commandments. Ten commandments. You're like the only person in the whole weekend that got that. Okay, you jumped the gun a little bit because some of them probably had that too. Some of you over here were thinking, yeah, Ten Commandments, yeah, yeah. Jason's over there going, yeah, of course, I know. I know the whole Bible from cover to cover. Yeah. Brittany's saying, no, he doesn't. Okay, so the Ten Commandments. So that's chapter 20 of Exodus. What's the previous chapter? Chapter 19, very good. And no, more specifically than that, chapter 19, it's covenant, it's covenant love. It's actually, this is what he says in chapter 19. You are my treasured possession. I love you. I've led you out of Egyptian bondage. You are my people. You are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. It's talking about love. And then you come to chapter 20 where it talks about law. And because of, because of this relationship you have with me, this is how I want you to behave. This is the difference it will make in your life. So you got love before law. And in fact, you see that throughout Scripture. In fact, uh, Ephesians Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Paul often does this in how he writes his, his letters. For instance, in Ephesians verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3, it's all about doctrine, love. This is who we are in light of who Christ is. This is what we have in him. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is remarkable what we have in him. Oh, and then chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians, this is how I want you to live. This is more law. This is duty. So you got belief, here's your belief, this is what I believe, this is what I believe about God and who I am in Him, and now here's how I want you to behave. So it's always love and then law. Love and law. It, 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 that's, that's the process, that's important to keep that in mind. The order is critical to our understanding of Christianity. And that's throughout Scripture. Now, this is what separates Christianity from every major religion in our world today. If someone were to ask you, what's the difference? Isn't, religion, isn't Christianity just like any other belief? No. No, it isn't. And in fact, understanding this will separate you from a lot of nominal Christians out there. There are a lot of churchgoers don't understand the distinction in the order here of, of love and then law and how those work together. For instance, religion or legalism says, obey God and then he will accept you and bless you. That's religion. So get your act together, come on. Get your act together, live by the rules, live by the Ten Commandments, do whatever you gotta do, start coming to church, read your Bible, pray, whatever it is, and then, then God will bless you. Oh, and if you're not being blessed, maybe you need to go back and start doing a better job with that list that I just gave you. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Now, I'm not taking away from the fact that if you do obey God, there is incredible blessing, but it doesn't start with obeying God. It starts with, oh my goodness, no one loves you like him. Do you understand what he's done for you? Do you understand the new covenant? He died for you in your place for your sins. And then out of that, you're going to respond with obedience. So religion is obey God and he will accept you and bless you. Christianity says God accepts you and blesses you in Christ beyond your wildest dreams. Therefore, you're going to want to obey him. Do you hear me? Then you're going to want to obey him. When I see people that aren't obeying Christ or wanting to follow him, it's they don't understand what he's already done for them. So I don't dog them over their obedience. I dog them over the fact that, man, do you understand what he's done for you? He loves you. No one loves you like him. Do you understand what he has in store for you? Are you living in the reality of that? Because I'm telling you, you're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to live for him. You're going to want to honor him. Just makes sense. And so so this covenant love is a beautiful blend of love and law, and, and the order is critical to our understanding of Christianity. Now, why is that? Because your motive... 
your motive for obedience. You can have two people sitting in the same service and one's reading their Bible and praying and putting money in the box and getting involved in ministry for a totally different reason from the other person. They're, they might be doing the same thing. They could look identical on the outside and yet be motivated by either religion or truly a relationship with God. Here's the difference. If you're motivated out of religion, motive for obedience for religion is, is out of an emptiness. You're empty. It's a deficit. You're wanting God's blessing. You're working for his blessing and, his, and to be accepted by him. And it's also filled with anxiety because you never know if it's enough, if you've ever done enough. I'm not sure if I've done enough yet. When, when will I know that I've done enough? And it's also motivated out of selfishness or self-centeredness because you're doing it to get something. So when you actually do kind things to other people, it's not really about them or God. It's really about you because you're trying to earn and establish right standing with God so that he can bless you and accept you. But the motivation behind Christianity, God accepts and blesses you in Christ Jesus, therefore you want to obey. The motive for obedience is fullness, it's abundance. Because when you realize what he's done for you and how much he loves you, oh my goodness, your motive to, to want to obey him, it just comes from that abundance. And it's not, it's not anxiety whether I've done enough, no, it's joy an overflow of joy, and it's not self-centeredness or selfishness, it's God-centeredness. So when you're doing good things for other people, it's not about you, it's about them and helping them and honoring God through your, your obedience. It's critical to know the difference. Covenant is a beautiful blend of love and law, promise and command, and there's nothing more life-liberating and soul-satisfying that's your next couple fill in the blanks. I'm telling you, when you start with the love of God, that we are his people, he loves us, he's provided for us, and then out of that we respond in obedience. It is life liberating and soul satisfying. By the way, Old Testament is a lot of imagery for us of what the Christian life is all about. They're coming out of Egyptian bondage, is our, coming out of our slavery to sin, loving anything more than we love God. And then the wandering in the wilderness is kind of our Christian life. It can be hard, it's difficult, but eventually he gets us to that place of fullness of life. It's the promised land of a, of a life that most people only dream about, what we have in Christ, so there's nothing more life liberating out of Egypt and soul satisfying into the promised land. As he says in verse 32, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now, the best human example of covenant love is marriage. And so you see that in verse 32, he says, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, we'll talk about that in a minute, though I was their husband. Did you notice that? I was their husband. Okay, I'm really glad that the youth are here because this is the kind of stuff that they actually need to learn early on because later on, they're gonna get married, some of them, some of them maybe not, but you need to understand a little bit of what covenant love is and what marriage is all about. And not just for our kids, but us adults need to understand this. As I'm telling you, we're one jacked up community of people, not in this church, but in this world, that has no clue about what real love is and what covenant love is all about. And yet God is the best example of it right here. Now, it is no accident that the Bible begins with a wedding of Adam and Eve and ends in the book of Revelation with the wedding of Christ and the church. So marriage is to be a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ reflecting his covenant love. And as, as we reflect his covenant love, it creates a nurturing environment that refines our character. That's a healthy marriage relationship. Reflecting God's covenant love, creating an atmosphere, a nurturing environment that refines our character. So to understand covenant love, we need to contrast that with consumer love because we live in a culture today of consumer love. So when you're looking for someone to marry, first of all, they need to be a Christian. But they also need to know what covenant love is. And the contrast between covenant love and consumer love. Here's what consumer love is. Consumer love says this, I'll be the kind of spouse I should be if and to the degree you'll be the kind of spouse you should be. It's consumer love. My needs are more important than the relationship. The purpose of marriage is to make me happy. It is self-centered, conditional, and won't last. 
That's consumer love. You want to know why marriages are crashing and burning all around us in our culture today? It's consumer love. It's promoted on the TV, through all the movies, a lot of the music, consumer love. Now, it's okay to have a consumer relationship with your grocer, okay? Would you guys agree with that? So with your grocer, where you shop regularly, the value drops, goes down, and the price goes through the roof, you're gonna go find another grocer. No, I'm not, I'm committed to that place. I'm gonna stay committed. No, you're not. Well, you're gonna look and shop for the best prices and the best value. That's how we do it. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something majorly wrong when we take that consumer relationship into our marriages or with our family or close friends or even in our church. I don't know how many people I've come across that they have a consumer relationship as it relates to church. I mean, we saw that this, in 2020. The average church in America lost a third of their people through the COVID conflict of wearing masks, not wearing masks, all the, all the craziness. A third of the people are AWOL, not even, most are, aren't even going to church. Well, if that's the way they are, then I'm out of here. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Sounds like consumer love to me. And so it's really important to understand that, that difference. And so consumer love is I'll be the kind of spouse I should be if and to the degree you'll be the kind of spouse you should be. Here's covenant love. Here's covenant love. This is hard. In fact, it's supernatural. I'll be the kind of spouse I should be whether or not you're the spouse you should be. That's covenant Love, the relationship is more important than my needs. The purpose of marriage is not my personal happiness, but for my spouse's personal wholeness, nurturing environment that refines our character. Do you hear the difference? You don't get married to be happy, that sounds crazy, you know, I mean, but that's our culture. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I just said that. You guys all laughed. It's like, you're getting married? I mean, I'll counsel couples before they uh, get married. I go, you're not getting married to be happy, are you? (laughs) Well, stop it right now. Nobody's going to be happy around here. No, no, I understand that. I'm I'm saying as kind of a a means to an end, like they're going to make you happy. Like this person's going to make me happy. They're going to make me whole. They're going to make me complete. They're not going to do that. Nobody can do that. You're putting too much weight on that relationship. Only one can do that, and that's God. I mean, that's the bottom line. And so, so this covenant love, this understanding of it, it's not, you're not getting, it's not for your personal happiness, but for your spouse's personal wholeness. I know it sounds almost crazy. It's different kind of thinking, but that's what the Bible teaches. Nurturing environment that refines our character. It is other-centered, unconditional, and will last forever. Now, why would anybody in their right mind want to have covenant love in a marriage relationship? Why would they want to do that? That doesn't make sense. I want to get, I'm getting married to be happy. And if this person doesn't make me happy, then eventually I'm going to move on and find someone that will. Covenant love, the reason why we would have covenant love in our relationship is because Jesus Christ loves us with this kind of love. He doesn't love us, now think about this, he doesn't love us because we're lovable or lovely, but in order to make us lovable and lovely. That's covenant love. And because he's done that for me, I'm gonna do that for you. Because I'm I'm filled up with his love. Remember what I said, love before law, obedience? I've got so much in him, man, I wanna pass it around. I'm obeying him and so I'm serving you because I don't need to get anything from this relationship other than what I've already got from him and I'm gonna give it over to you. And when both of us have that kind of relationship, oh my goodness, it's heavenly. I wanna help you become God's best version of you. So, So listen. Listen, all you single folks out there and married folks and those of you that are young and eventually come to that place where you get married, you're gonna want someone that's working hard to help you to become the best best version of God, of what God wants you to be. I want to help that other person become God's best version of, of you. 
but which is Christ's likeness, sanctification. Yeah, we, ha- we have a crazy idea, too, that there's some kind of disparity between holiness and happiness. I'm telling you, they're one and the same pursuit. Holiness. You pursue holiness. You become more like Christ. You follow him with all your heart. Oh, my goodness. Your happiness will go through the roof. And so as you're in a relationship and you're helping that person to find holiness in Christ, there's going to be a happiness in that relationship that's out of this world. It's heavenly. That's why, that's why you want to do that. Now, if you have covenant love and the person that you've uh, gotten married to, it's their more consumer love, that can certainly be exploitative and even abuse. And, and so what do you do if you're trying to do the covenant love and they're doing the consumer love? Well, covenant love is the most forgiving, but the least enabling. You're going to call them on it because you have their best interest at heart. It's not, you're going to enable them to, well, I guess I just got covenant love. I'm just going to hang in there no matter what. No, you're not going to hang in there no matter what. You're going to hang in there to help them to become the better person that they need to be. You're going to hold them to that, but you're going to continue to love them and have that covenant love and keep drawing from God that covenant love. Now, in our relationships, we are not robots. Anybody uh, remember, if you're old like me, my sister, I think it was my youngest sister, had one of these dolls. It was called a Chatty Cathy doll. Anybody remember Chatty Cathy dolls? Okay, Chatty Cathy. Wow, there's not very many old people like me in here. (laughs) Chatty Cathy, Chatty Cathy. So, any any guys have a Chatty Cathy doll? That's messed up. No, I had a G.I. Joe doll. Yeah, my dad didn't think much of it, but it was like, yeah. But Chatty Cathy doll, my sister back here, Aloha, had one of those. And so we would, you could pull the string on the neck of Chatty Cathy, and she'd go, I love you. That is so meaningful. It isn't meaningful. That's crazy. My doll loves me. I don't care what anybody says. My doll, Chatty Cathy, loves me. That's weird. In fact, we're going to get some counseling for you. In fact, that's totally meaningless. That's a doll. You could pop the head off that doll. What's inside? Nothing. (laughs) Why did he even bring that up? There's a few of you starting to pray for Ray right now. Pastor Ray. Lord, please help him. Um... Chatty Cathy doll, yeah. It's robotic. God does not want us to be robots. The reason why I said that is that notice in verse 32 of our text, he says, my covenant that they broke. It's a two-way street. My covenant that they broke. How did they break it? Disobedience, unrepentance. He had a whole system so they could get re- have repentance and forgiveness and all that. They just, I don't need that. Two-way street. Now, You cannot have love and relationship apart from freedom and choice. Would you agree with that? Okay. And so there are those that would define sovereignty. Let's talk about sovereignty just for a minute. There are those that would define sovereignty in our culture today. Sovereignty is that, uh, and and how we define it here would be different from a lot of, there's a lot of people in our culture today. There's a sovereignty that God is a micromanager. He's controlling. That's not what sovereignty is. Sovereignty is that God is in control, but he's not controlling. He's not a micromanager. He's not pulling the string on us and getting us to say, I love you. He's giving us that freedom to be able to choose. Here's my covenant love. I mean, a case in point right here. He says, man, I offered my love. I gave you the guidelines for this, both promise and command, and you guys broke my heart, my covenant that they broke in disobedience and unrepentance. And so this is what's absolutely amazing about our relationship with God. We're not robots. We can respond to the living God. We can have him in our life. We can interact with him. We can know him. Now he's going to go into more detail about what that looks like, but let me just say a couple things here as it relates to this idea of covenant love and covenant love in marriage relationship. Human romance is a glorious experience, but even the best is a gift from God and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing God's covenant love. There's no person on this planet that can give you the love that only Christ can give you. So if you have the best marriage in the world, it's a dim glimpse of the kind of relationship and covenant love you can have with God. Here's the next thought 
before we move on. If you don't develop a deeply fulfilling personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. Your completeness is only found in Christ. Now, what is a personal relationship with God? What does that look like? So this is the kind of relationship he wants with us, covenant love. He's offering us this covenant love. So what does that look like? Look at verses 33 and 34. This is really profound stuff. This is really good. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So he's describing this covenant. Talked about the old covenant. Now we got the new covenant. It's through Jesus Christ. We have access into the throne room of God through Jesus He says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That's the law part. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's the love part. Now he goes into more detail here. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know him. So it was a bit cumbersome. You had to go through priests. You had to go through a sacrificial system. Jesus was in the, or God, the presence of God was in the temple. And now that's all done away with. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we have access into the throne room of God. It's an open invitation. We can all know God. We can all experience God in our life. He goes on, he says, from the least of them to the greatest. In other words, there's no favoritism. I went to a church a number of years ago, my wife and I, and this pastor would almost convey like he, he was, like God has a secret society of intimate friends. And I'm part of that society, and you're not. And if you want to hear God, you need to come through me to hear God. In fact, let's set that up right now, right here. <laughs> I'm part of God's secret society of intimate friends, and you're not. And so if you want to hear from God, You might hear from God, but you need to check it through me to make sure that that's really God, okay? In fact, you're gonna hear best from God through me. Now, let me me explain something to you. The guy didn't like me because I said, I don't think he has a secret society of intimate friends. I think, in fact, he does have a secret society of intimate friends, and we're all in, okay? All of us have that relationship with God. And I was raised in the church, and I understood the priesthood of the believers, so I knew that you could have, through Jesus Christ, we all have access into the throne room of God. We can all know him. So it kind of blew his cover a bit, and he didn't like it. And anyway, that's just the way it goes, because that's the truth. But the fact is, is that we all are part of his secret society of friends. If you have put your faith in Jesus, man, you can have an intimate relationship with him. You can hear him. You can interact with him. Now, you need to be in community to make sure that you truly are listening to him, and you're not listening to your own voice or the voice of the enemy trying to lead you astray. So that's important. It's important to have that kind of relationship and that accountability. But I know that some of you are thinking, Pastor Ray has really a close relationship with God beyond anybody else in this church, and I would love to have that. Some of you are thinking of that, aren't you? No? None of you have ever thought that? That's disappointing. No, I'm glad you're not, because that's not never what I've ever taught. Whatever level of intimacy I have with the Father, which I treasure, I value, it's amazing. You can have it too. That's the bottom line. It's through Jesus. That's what he's saying. Did you hear what he said in this text? I mean, he's saying, from the least of them to the greatest. There's no favoritism, declares the Lord. Now check this out, the last part of this verse. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What? This is the new covenant. Once and for all, Jesus died on the cross for all your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He will never, ever, ever, ever hold your sin against you. So here's the deal. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. There's no breakdown in the equation on his side of the street. He's making that offer to everyone. How close do you want to be? How close do you want to be? Do you understand his love? Do you understand the appeal of his love? Do you see what his son did to break down the barrier that separated us from God? We have access into the throne room. We can know him. We can experience him. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, this idea of a relationship with God is a mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. If you want to you know, define a healthy relationship. Healthy relationships are mutual giving and receiving of love and truth, Ephesians 4, 15, and 25. And so anytime there's a breakdown in the relationship, there's probably a breakdown in the giving and receiving of love and truth, one aspect of it or all of it. 
But here's what I want to throw at you here just before we get into this is the idea of love and truth and why it's so important to balance that in a healthy relationship. It will be balanced because love minus truth is deceptive. Love minus truth is deceptive. I just love everybody and yeah, they're kind of a pain but I don't want to say anything. So you're going to be an enabler in that relationship? You just let them say mean and nasty things about other people and yourself? That's not a healthy relationship. See, it affirms but keeps us in denial about our flaws. God doesn't do that. And then truth minus love is dogmatic. Gives us information but in a way that offends us. Now here's what's crazy about this is that all of us tend to gravitate towards one or the other. So just let's just do a quick survey, show of hands. How many would say that you tend to be, gravitate more towards love minus truth? You deceivers, you. Oh, nobody wants to raise their hand. Oh, there's a couple honest people right there. I've done this all services and nobody wants to raise their hand on any of these. And this is church. This should be the honest, most honest place in the world. How about truth minus love? Anybody more like that? Oh, yeah. yeah bull in China closet. That's right. I'll tell them what for. So the rest of you didn't vote. And maybe you're schizophrenic like me, okay? You kind of go back and forth based on who it is. Love, love minus truth. Yeah. Truth minus love. Yeah, I'm going to hammer them. I'm going to beat them up. And then these other people are just like, oh, hi. You're all love. That's messed up. God wants us to live in healthy relationships of love and truth. And I'm telling you, this is the balance that we work hard to try to create. We've got to do this. Now, what does that look like as it relates to God? In a personal relationship with God, you listen to him. You listen to him. My wife and I, we celebrated uh, our anniversary on Friday. I took her out to a very nice restaurant. We got all dressed up, and as we were sitting at one of her favorite restaurants, I leaned over to her and said, after 44 years, you are tried and true. And she kind of looked at me with a shocked look on her face, and she says, well, after 44 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> I don't think she was listening to me. You think she heard me? No, man, she's just like, and, and I had to get a cab to go home. <laughs> no, that was a joke to show you that we might, we say that we're listening to God, but sometimes I hear people say things that they've heard from God, and I'm thinking, I don't think you listen to him very well. I don't think that's what God is saying. Now, the, the primary way God speaks is through his word, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It's the very words of God, the very presence of God. When we pick up the Bible, very words of God, the very presence of God. Hebrews 4, 12 talks about it being the very presence of God. And if you want to hear God's voice, then read God's word. God will never speak to your heart anything contrary to his word. That's why you need to know God's word. You need to memorize it, meditate on it, reflect on it. The more you study God's word, the more he will speak to your heart. And I'm telling you, I study God's word like crazy. He speaks to me regularly. It's crazy. I mean, and, and that's, that's the primary way he speaks to us. And when you study God's word, don't look for life lessons as much as you should as much as you should intently listen to hear the voice of the only one that can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul, you're wanting to have an encounter with God. This isn't like, okay, boys and girls, let's gather around Aesop's fables. We're going to teach you some good morals for the day. No. It teaches you a lot of good information, but ultimately it's about an encounter with God. So when you study God's word, oh, God, I want to hear from you today. I want to hear your voice. I want you to speak to me. That's, that, that's a healthy perspective when it comes to God's word. In fact, Psalm 86, 11, this is a good prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In fact, even as you're sitting here this morning, this is what you should be asking. I, I hope that you didn't just come to check the church box and you're looking at your clock saying, when is this guy going to be over? What's going on here? You're missing the most important part of this, and that's to hear the voice of God. God, what are you wanting to speak to me through this sermon right now? In fact, if I were to come up to you and ask you this, what has God been speaking to you lately? How has he been comforting you? How's he been convicting you? 
And so this would be a normal response if someone that's really walking in a, in a personal relationship with God, they say, yeah, you know, this last week I was so anxious. I said some things to my spouse that I shouldn't have, so I went and spent some time with him, and he spoke to me so clearly that that anxiety lifted, and I came across a verse, and I wrote it down on a three-by-five card, and I took it with me the rest of the day, and oh my goodness, it brought so much peace and serenity to my heart. I was so thankful for that. I don't know why I was so stressed out. Or, or this, as I'm kind of working through the issues of my life, he began to point some things out in my life and my response to the circumstances of life or the people or the things in my life that wasn't really like him and like what he was wanting me to display in my life. So he convicted me, but he just didn't convict me of my behavior. He began to get down to the root of the issues and why I was acting the way I was acting. And I began to understand this disordered loves that was going on in my heart. I began to understand, man, I love what people think about me more than what he thinks about me. And that's why I was so upset at the criticism or whatever it might have been. So he's dealing with you. He loves you. He's going to speak to you. But you have to, you have to listen. You have to listen to him. And if, you're, if you aren't willing to listen to everything God has, has to say, you eventually won't be able to hear anything he has to say. Are you listening to him? If you want to hear his comforting voice in suffering, you have to listen to his convicting voice in sin. You can't pick and choose. So this is what will happen over time. Increased exposure to the voice of God, decreased response equals a hardness of heart. I pray that that's not happening in your life. And, and what do you do when you recognize? You repent. You come back to him and say, God, I want to hear your voice. I've, I've, I've stiff-armed you. Too long, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. I want to encounter you. So you listen to him. Here's the next one. You know he listens to you. Now, this is one of the reasons why most of us don't pray like what we really should or could. It's because we don't actually believe that God listens to us. We believe that as we're talking, our prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling, and we feel like we're talking to the wall. But I'm telling you, tells us in his word, he listens to you. Sometimes I'm, I'm Mr. ADD here, okay? And I got so many things going on. I get so distracted. But the best thing I've ever learned to do is to sit quietly before God and listen to him and know that he listens to me. Sometimes that's how I have to start my prayer. Just say, okay, God, I know you listen to me. In fact, I'll go through scripture that talks about that. Here's a scripture. This is a great one, 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So his eyes are on you. He can't take his eyes off of you. And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is always against those who do evil. That's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. So how do I know that I really know that he listens to me? I think Philippians 4, 6 through 8 he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I think you'll live that out. You'll find yourself less and less anxious because you're giving everything to him in prayer. He, he, and prayer is the general word. Prayer, general word, you're interacting with him throughout the day. Prayer, supplication, he uses the word supplication. Supplication is bringing your specific request to God. So in general, in prayer, as you walk with him, as you're communing with him, you bring your list to him. He says supplication and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just basically means, you know what, I distrust myself in what I think is best for me, and so I'm turning this over to you. God, you've got it, and I know you got it. I know you always have my best interest at heart. They would be thanksgiving. I know that you're going to always do that which is in my best interest. So I just trust you in this. That's what thanksgiving is. So prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. God will do what what you would have asked him to do if you knew everything he knew. So you just trust him, his loving, wise control of your life. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. You know that he listens to you and he cares about you and he's working on behalf of your prayers. I'm telling you, you're going to have a peace that goes beyond understanding. But then again, you've got to guard that with whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. That becomes your filtering system when the enemy tries to come after you and take you down. And that's how you know. Listen, he loves all of us as if there's only one of us. He loves all of us as if there's only one of us. That's insane. How does he do that? He's eternal. He's infinite. 
You can have a personal relationship with God. In fact, you have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action working for your good and his glory. And if that's true, why would we ever be inordinately anxious, angry, or depressed? There's no reason for it. No one loves you more. He's got you taken care of. I know this place is getting crazy. That the Bible says it's going to get crazy. But in the midst of that craziness, on all this trouble, we don't, as believers, need to be troubled. Because... We serve the God of the galaxies who loves us, working all things for our good and his, his glory. So in a personal relationship with God, you listen to him, you know he listens to you, and then you receive his love. You receive his love, that's the next one. First John 4, 18 through 19, we love him because he first loved us. In fact, it says his perfect love chases away the fears. So I know when I'm not being made perfect in his love because I have fears in my life. Psalm 63, three, his covenant love is better than life. So listen, you guys with me? Listen to this. There's no romance love. There's no parent love. There's no child love. There's no friend love. There's no puppy love or kitty love. For all you cat lovers out there, you keep twisting my arm that I have to talk about cats even if I don't like them. There's no puppy love, no kitty love, or fortune and fame love like God's steadfast love for us. In fact, Jude 1.21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of Christ. Romans 8.38-39, 8 nothing can separate us from the love of God. See, it's one thing to know he loves you in your head. It's a concept. Yep, yep, everybody knows that. But it's altogether another to experience his love in your heart. Listen to the story by D.L. Moody, who was a minister in Chicago in the late 1800s. His church was destroyed by the great Chicago fire in 1871. Many of his people's homes were destroyed by the fire. After that disaster, he went into a period of depression. Now, we've all experienced that before. You go through some kind of disaster and you experience terrible depression as a result of that. He was in New York City to raise money to rebuild the homes and the church in Chicago. And he was praying to God in this time of depression, Oh, Lord, become a reality to me. I don't want your love to be just a concept. I want it to be a reality in my heart, please. And he had an experience of God's love unlike ever before. This is what he said. One day in New York City, oh, what a day. I can't describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred of an experience to name. I can only say I had such an experience of God's love. I had to ask him to stop. I would not now be placed back where I was before that experience if you should give me all the world. Here's what he's saying. I was pretty happy, and then I became depressed. Then because of the depression, I had an experience of God's love that was worth the depression to have. And I would never want to go back to the way I was before. That's powerful love. That's amazing. So how do you receive his love? How do you receive his love? How do you bask in the reality of his love? Well, you think about it, you contemplate it, you reflect on it, you spend time in prayer asking and thanking God for it, and then you recognize ways that you are denying it and you repent of, of it. So what would be evidence in your life that you're denying his love? You're not living in the reality of his love. <laughs> I got a whole list. <laughs> I can share personally from my own life. See, when temptation is overtaking you, you're denying his love. See, when there's something in this world that looks more desirable and satisfying to you than God, you're denying his love. You're not living in the reality of his love. When trials are overwhelming, overwhelming you, you're denying his love. When relationships are getting the best of you, you're denying his love. When you become defensive toward criticism, you are denying his love. And what do you do? You go, oh, man, my response is not consistent with someone who's adored by God. Why am I responding like that? Lord, I repent. I want to come back to you. I want to I receive your love. Show me how your love is greater than the rejection I'm experiencing right here in this moment. That's how you begin to receive his love. You think about it. When you are full of anxiety, self-pity, or hopelessness, you're denying his love. So you receive his love, and then you, you give him love. 
So when was the last time you said to God, God, I love you. I love you. I love you. So how do you give him love? By praising him, telling him directly how much you love him. In healthy, significant relationships, you will tell people regularly how much you love them. My wife and I, as we got dressed up, we were heading out the door. She looked over at me and she goes, you are one handsome hunk of a guy. And I said, you are one beautiful and gorgeous girl. Let's go. And we went out to eat and had a, had a great time. But, but we don't just do that on our anniversary, okay? We do that pretty consistently. When you have covenant love in a relationship, you tell each other, man, this is what I love about you. I think the world of you. I love you. I'm just telling you what I'm getting from God, and I'm just going to pass it off to you, and, and we're able to do it for each other. God, this is what I love about you and what you mean to me. So let me just end with some verses of what that would look like in our relationship with God. Here's some verses. I gave you a whole slew of them here. Uh, Psalm 18.1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Do you say those kind of things to him in your relationship with him? Psalm 27.4, one thing I've asked, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Lord, I, I love gazing upon your beauty. Psalm 32.7, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your steadfast love to me. I mean, just if you were to say that just in a prayer, a lot of our songs that we're singing, you know, if you're, you could be missing out on opportunities to tell God how much you love him through worship and truly experience his love on your heart. And, uh, and so how precious is your steadfast love, O God. Psalm 42, 1, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 73, 25 through 26, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 84, 1 through 2, how lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The absolutely best thing about the Christian life is a personal relationship with God. The mutual giving and receiving of love and truth just between you and him. (laughs) Nothing better. Next weekend how God speaks, the various ways that he speaks to us. We'll talk about that. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders. If you are new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer or would like to commit your life to Christ this morning, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd also like to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for your covenant love. Father God, we thank you for your covenant love. We don't obey you to to achieve your acceptance and blessings, but we are accepted and blessed by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and therefore we want to obey you out of fullness not out of a deficit, but out of fullness and abundance, joy and God-centeredness. Teach us how to grow in our mutual giving and receiving of love and truth with you as we experience more and more of life's most satisfying reality, intimacy with you, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.